Okay. Maxwell, take it away, bucko. Gotcha, Johnny. All right. Um, a reading from the book of Joshua, chapters 12 through 13. The kings defeated by Moses. The people of Israel had already conquered and occupied the land east of Jordan, from the Arnon Valley up the Jordan Valley, and as far north as Mount Hermon. They had defeated two kings. One was Sehon, the Amorite king who ruled at Heshbon. His kingdom included half of Gilead, from Aror, Arar, on the edge of the Arnon Valley, and from the city in the middle of that valley, as far as the Yabok River, the border of Ammon. It included the Jordan Valley from Lake Galilee south to Beth Yeshemoth, east of the Dead Sea, and on and on toward the foot of Mount Pisgah. They had also defeated King Og of Bashan, who was one of the last of the Rephaim. He ruled at Ashtaroth and Edrei. His kingdom included Mount Hermon, Sadaka, and all of Bashan as far as the boundaries of Geshur and Makkah, as well as half of Gilead as far as the territory of King Sihon of Heshbon. These two kings were defeated by Moses and the people of Israel. Moses, the Lord's servant, gave their land to the tribes of Reuben and Gad and, half, and to half the tribe of Manasseh to be their possession. The kings defeated by Joshua. Joshua and the people of Israel defeated all the kings in the territory west of the Jordan, from Bagad in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak in the south near Edom. Joshua divided this land among the tribes and gave it to them as permanent possessions. This portion included the hill country, the western foothills, the Jordan Valley and its foothills, the eastern slopes, and the dry country in the south. This land had been the home of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the, and the Yebusites. The people of Israel defeated the kings of the following cities, Jericho, Ai, near Bethel, Jerusalem, Hebron, Yarmouth, Lachish, Eglon, Gezer, Debir, Geder, Choma, Arad, Libna, Adolam, Makeda, Bethel, Tapua, Hefer, Afek, Lasharon, Madon, Hazar, Shimron, Meron, Akshaf, Tanakh, Megiddo, Kadesh, Yokniam, in Carmel, Dor, on the coast, Goyim, in Galilee, and Tirzah, 31 kings in all. The land still to be taken. Joshua was now very old. The Lord said to him, You are very old, but there is still much land to be taken. All the territory of Philistia and Geshur, as well as all the territory of the Abim to the south. The land from the stream Shehor at the Egyptian border as far north as the border of Ekon was considered Canaanite. The kings of the Philistines lived at Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. There is still all the Canaanite country and Mera, which belonged to the Sidonians, as far as Afek at the Amorite border. The land of the Gebelites, all of Lebanon to the east, from Balgar, which is south of Mount Hermon, to Hamath Pass. This includes all the territory of the Sidonians, who live in the hill country between the Lebanon mountains and Misrephoth Mis 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 Maim. 
I will drive all these peoples out as the people of Israel have asked. You must divide the land among the Israelites, just as I have commanded you to do. Now then, divide this land among the other nine tribes and half of the tribe of Manasseh for them to possess as their own. The tribes of Reuben and Gad and the other half of the tribe of Manasseh had already received the land that Moses, the Lord's servant, had given them. It was on the east side of the Jordan River. Their territory extended to Adair on the edge of the Arnon Valley, and the city in the middle of, the, of that valley, and included all the plateau from Medeba to Debon. It went as far as the border of Ammon, and included all the cities that had been ruled by the Amorite King Sehon, who had ruled at Heshbon. It included Gilead, the regions of Geshur and Mecca, all of Mount Hermon, and all of Bashan as far as Sadeqa. It included the kingdom of Og, the last, the last of, the, of the Rephaim, who had ruled at Ashtaroth and Edrei. Moses had defeated these people and driven them out. However, the Israelites did not drive out the people of Geshur and Mecca. They still lived in Israel. Moses had given no land to the tribe of Levi. As the Lord had told Moses, they were to receive as their possession a share of the sacrifices burnt on the altar to the Lord, God of Israel. The territory assigned to Reuben. Moses had given a part of the land to the families of the tribe of Reuben as their possession. Their territory extended to Eroer on the edge of the Arnon Valley, and the city in the middle of that valley included all the plateau around Medeba. It included Heshbon and all the cities on the plateau, Dibon, Bamofal, Beth Balmeon, Yahaz, Kedemos, Nefach, Kariathaim, Sibma, Zarev Shahar on the hill in the valley, Bethbeor, the slopes of Mount Pisgah, and Beth Yeshamoth included all the cities of the plateau and the whole kingdom of the Amorite king Sihon, who had ruled at Heshbon. Moses defeated him, as well as the rulers of Midian, Evi, Rekim, Zor, Hor, and Reba. All of them had ruled the land of, kings, of King Sihon, or King Sihon. Among those whom the people of Israel killed was the fortunate, the fortune teller Balaam son of Beor. The Jordan was the western border of the tribe of Reuben. These were the cities and towns given to the families of the tribe of Reuben as their possession, the territory assigned to Gad. Moses had, all, had also given a part of the land to the families of the tribe of Gad as their possession. Their territory included Jazan and all the cities of Gilead, half the land of Ammon as far as Arar, which is east of Rabbah. Their land extended from Heshbon to Ramath Mizpeh and Betonim from Mahanaim to the border of Lodebar. In the Jordan Valley included Beth Haram, Beth Nimra, Sukkoth, and Zaphon, the rest of the kingdom of King Sahon of Heshbon. Their western border was the Jordan River as far north as Lake Galilee. These were the cities and towns given to the families of the tribe of God as their possession. The territory assigned to East Manasseh. 
Most had, Moses had given a part of the land to the families of, of half the tribe of Manasseh as their possession. The territory extended to Mahanaim and all of the, included all of Bashan, the whole kingdom of Og, the king of Bashan, as well as all 60 of the villages of Yair and Bashan, included half of Gilead, as well as Ashtaroth and Edai, the capital cities of Og's kingdom in Bashan. All this was given to half the families descended from Machir, son of Manasseh. This is how Moses divided the land east of Jericho and the Jordan west when he was in the plains of Moab. But Moses did not assign any land to the tribe of Levi. He told them that their possession was to, to be a share of the offerings to the Lord God of Israel. Okay, so at this point, a coalition of northern Canaanite kings, right? This is talking about uh, chapter 11. Um, headed by Jabin, king of Hazor, gathers together in opposition to Israel. Joshua marches north, again attacks by surprise, routing the northern coalition and capturing all their cities. So all in all, um, this is like the last campaign the book of Joshua records. It will say, um, you know, Joshua made war a long time with those kings, right? Uh, some battles from here on will be summarized in such a fashion. Um, just the mention of it, but no longer being expounded upon like we've seen thus far. And so uh, chapter 12 was simply um, a summary of the great, the many kings that were conquered. Um, this is in fashion with other ancient Near Eastern uh, lists of conquered cities, um, societies that do this after they've conquered their cities, um, just to show, you know, their, their great power that they have on and so forth um and so coming into 13 finally the land is being officially distributed um by the people and if you remember reuben god and manasseh uh their people will be staying on the opposite side of the jordan river um because that's what was promised to them again primarily because they just had a lot, a lot of livestock um and they needed the space so uh, are there any questions about anything thus far? Um, so they're officially in the in the promised land. Joshua's like, you know, he's reigning, right? He's undefeated. Um, and so this is where we are now. The land's being divided. Um, and then you're going to see uh, the continuation of Joshua's story in the coming chapters. But in any case, if there are no questions... Uh, feel free to read Kimena. 27. Triumph Song of Confidence The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom I shall fear. The Lord is my stronghold of life, of whom shall I be afraid. When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh and advisories and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Those in armory, though an army, encamp against me. My heart shall not fear, though war rise up against me, yet I will still be confident. One thing I ask to, of the Lord, what I, that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all my days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in this temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the days of trouble, 
He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set, set me high on the rock. High on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer offer in this in his tent sacrifices with joy, shouts of joy. I will sing and make a melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, when I cry out loud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face, your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You who, who have been my help, do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. If my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead, and lead me to the level path because of my enemies. Do not give up the will of the adversaries or for fault witnesses. I rise up against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Awesome. So uh, I just want to draw real quick on what the church does with this psalm. Um, I'm going to try, uh, get with Tati and try and uh, see how the different psalms, if they are um, used in the liturgy, how and when um, they're applied. And so particularly this psalm is uh, recited, sung, right, during the Feast of the Trent. Um, the transfiguration of of Jesus, or not the feast, but the the mass of the transfiguration. When we read that gospel passage, and it's very characteristic of the very first line of this psalm in general: "The Lord is my light and my salvation; whom should I fear?" Right. Um, so I just think on, on the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus is, you know, transfigured, and he's seen like with dazzling robes, right? He's glowing, and so on and so forth. Um, and so what does that show us? Well, that shows us what well, Jesus is God, right? You have got the Father say, this is my own dear son, listen to him, right? Um, and so in in the tradition of the church currently, this is where it's applied in reference to the transfiguration of our Lord. Um, and it's a, your typical lamenting psalm, right? Where there, he's in pain, right? He has enemies. Um, and it's constant cries to the Lord, Lord, come, says my heart, seek his face, your face, Lord, do I seek, right? Um, and of course, a Jew, when they hear here in verse eight, when they hear verse eight, they would know that nobody can see the face of God because they will die. And we, we've covered that before. Because God is just so holy, right? He's God, you know, it was impossible for anyone to see his face. Um, and so what is he saying here? Well, if you interpret that in the light of the tradition of the transfiguration of Jesus, um, the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, who see the transfigured Christ, see him in his full divine glory in that moment, um, they get to see the face of the Lord, um, which is really interesting. But of course, uh, typical event psalms have this, um, right there, this, this distress, this pain, but ultimately... Um, a call for the Lord. And so at the end, the very end says, wait for the Lord, take courage, be stout hearted, wait for the Lord. Having that hope 
in God and his saving power. Um, are there any questions or comments about anything we've read this far? If not, we can get into the Acts of the Apostles. So today's a reading from the Acts of the Apostles, uh, chapter 11. And so here, here it goes. Now the apostles and the brothers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles too had accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers confronted them, saying, You entered the house of uncircumcised people and ate with them. Peter began and explained it to them step by step, saying, I was at prayer in the city of Joppa when in a trance I had a vision. Something resembled a large sheet came down, lowered from the sky by its four corners, and it came to me. Looking intently into it, I observed and saw the four-legged animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, the birds of the sky. I also heard a voice say to me, Get up, Peter, slaughter, and eat. But I said, Certainly not, sir, because nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time a voice from heaven answered, What God has made clean you are not to call profane. This happened three times, and then everything was drawn up again into the sky. Just then three men appeared at the house where we were, who had been sent to me from Caesarea. The Spirit told me to accompany them without discriminating. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He related to us how he had seen the angels standing in the house saying, Send someone to Joppa, and summon Simon, who is called Peter, who will speak words to you by which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as it had been upon us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift he gave to us when we came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to be able to hinder God? When they heard this, they stopped objecting, glorified God, saying, God has then granted life, giving repentance to the Gentiles too. So just real quick in this section, um, again, just to reiterate what we mentioned yesterday, um, we don't draw out our doctrines from a singular verse in the Bible. Um, we use the entirety of the Bible and, of course, um, all right, some people would want to propose, see, water baptism um, is different than uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here it's very clear. Well, if you remember the context, that these were Gentiles, right? They were not following the law, yet they were still saved by their faith, which is a grace. Um, that's what Paul would later say, you're saved by Christy faith. Um, and so this was a singular, particular moment in which Peter was able to see that salvation was also for the Gentiles and not just for the Jews. That's very, very, very important to note that this is not a means by which we should measure the norms of how people receive the graces of baptism. Okay, these guys had a baptism of desire. It was truly an extraordinary means. However, the ordinary means would be a baptism of water. And even with this baptism of desire, Peter immediately as you recall from yesterday, baptize them with water. Um, and so the main thing to draw out of this is that Peter sees that salvation is not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And God is giving them the same gift that they received in the beginning, right? That they got at Pentecost. Um, so really awesome stuff. And there'll be a clear distinction between the baptism of John and the baptism of the Holy Spirit um, or the baptism of Christ. Oh, we get to chapter 19, and I'll, I'll try and flesh that out as much as I can once we get there. But um, just more on that later. Moving on, it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that arose because of Stephen went as far as 
Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to the no one but Jews. There were some Cypriots and Cyrenians among them, however, who came to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks as well, proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to go to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord in firmness of heart. For he was a good man, filled with the Holy Spirit and faith, and a large number of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, he met with the church, taught a large number of people, and it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Okay. So, again, we have another circumstance where um, Gentiles are expressing faith in the Lord, right? He was a good man. And so um, Barnabas, who was a deacon, right, who was a, a diaconoi, um, he went, after he heard of this, he was in the church in Jerusalem, so he went to Antioch. He sees them, he praises God, and what does it say? A large number of people were added to the Lord. If you remember the last time this was said, was after Peter's first homily, when he baptized 3,000 people. Imagine that, his first homily, and he baptizes 3,000 people. 3,000 conversions. That's incredible. And so, keeping that again in, in the context, how are people added? How are people welcomed into the church? Through baptism. Okay? Because it's through baptism that you enter into the death of Christ, right? So you can rise with Christ. And we who are a part of the church are truly a part of the body of Christ, which was crucified and died, right? And resurrected for us. And so in order to enter into the church, to become a part of the church, right? A large number of people were added to the Lord. It would be through the rite of baptism. So this is an implicit reference here. Um, and then next, you see Saul, who is an apostle. He comes in to help teach them for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a large number of people. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. We can reasonably infer that these people would have thus been confirmed right after. Because um, there's a reason he's looking for Saul, right? Barnabas was not an apostle. He was, he was not a bishop, in fact. He was just a deacon. And they could do baptisms, of course. Um, however, you, they needed an apostle, uh, a bishop, to come and do concert, um, the confirmation. And so, bearing that in mind, it, it makes sense why he would go looking for Saul. And so Saul remained with them for a year, teaching them, catechizing them. Um, so another thing we can draw on this is that they would have likely been confirmed um, in, in due time. And so it says here, this is the, it was in Antioch where the disciples were first called Christians. Um, our Protestant brethren will have to use this and say, see, they're not called Catholics. Well, first of all, Catholic is just the name of the church of the christians uh, uh and people weren't really referred to as catholic like in the early church um they were just called christians the name christian was intended to differentiate them from the jews because these were judeo-christians okay these were people who were in fact jews right uh, ethnic jews um but they had this conversion um to the christian faith and so that's why the name was brought about in origin um, to show a distinction between the Jewish Christians, right, the Judeo-Christians, and the, the Orthodox Jews. Um, later on, in Antioch, by St. Ignatius of Antioch, um, I'm thinking it's maybe like 60 years after this event, he will later say that the Church of God, right, is 
Catholic. It's universal. And that's literally what the name means. Uh, it just means universal. And why would he say that? Well, because you have a church in Antioch. In this very passage, you have a church in Jerusalem. And then you will know later on that there's a church in Ephesus, um, church in northern, uh, other northern parts of Africa and Egypt, right? And so it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're so different. They're geographically separated. What's the deal? Well, very simply, put is, as we read earlier, I think it was Acts chapter 5, they were of one mind, right, sharing doctrine and one heart. And these different churches were universal. They were united. Um, so that's why they're called Catholic. Right? Uh, St. Ignatius, who was, in fact, the bishop of Antioch. Moving on. Um, at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up, predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine all over the world, and it happened under Claudius. So the disciples determined that according to ability, each should send relief to the brothers who lived in Judea. This they did, sending it to the presbyters in care of Barnabas and Saul. So here you just see them acting. You know, this is the Acts of the Apostles. This is just a simple acts that they perform um, in light of this prophecy of this great famine that was going to come. So uh, that's pretty much it for today. Are there any questions about anything we've read or maybe something unrelated? Um, if not...